Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. We're going to dig into the Word now, continue our Jesus is King series. And we're going to be reading from Matthew 2 this morning, uh, from verses 1 to 12. So if you have a Bible following along, we're in the NIV in Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Obviously, it'll be on the screen behind me. But if you'd like to read along, you don't have a Bible on you, we've got some baskets in the aisles with Bibles in there. Please, one day, we want someone to jump up, grab a Bible, and take it home with them. But it's there for you to read along. And if you don't have a Bible yourself, that's our gift to you. Um, Take it and keep it. So we're going to read Matthew 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly the time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. Then after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Please welcome Hayden. Morning, everybody. Great to be here to share with you today. Well, the holiday season is upon us once more, and uh, I'm a lucky teacher who, much to all of my non-teacher friends' disgust, have already started my summer holidays. (laughs) I've got lots of activities planned. I'm going to do some work in the garden. I'm going to get all of our Christmas shopping done, because we haven't really started yet. And I'm hoping to learn how to weld. Uh, Next next week, I'm going uh, with some of my friends to the movies. Uh, We're off to see the latest edition in the Star Wars franchise. Are there any other Star Wars fans in the house? A few of you? Uh, Well, they've called this... uh, most recent Star Wars movie, The Last Skywalker. And I must say, I don't have very high hopes for it. I used to really like Star Wars, but now they're up to episode nine, and I must say it's starting to lose a bit of its appeal. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find that sequels are rarely as good as the original. Why? Because original movies are planned out to be a complete story. They have a start and a middle, and an end. The problem is, if an original movie is very successful and makes a lot of money, the big Hollywood producers say, well, you know what we can do here? We can make a sequel. And all the people who like the original will come along and see it. And they ride on the success of the brand and squeeze out 
as much, of us, as much from us as they can. Sometimes they even squeeze out a third or a fourth sequel, and we go and watch them because, well, we're a bunch of suckers. <laughs> Shrek 2, lame. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean 2, boring. I hear there's a Frozen 2 that's just come out. Let me save you the disappointment. It will be rubbish. And don't get me started on the Matrix trilogy. That's it. Not every movie sequel is awful. Is awful. Uh, the original Star Wars trilogy was great. The Bourne trilogy was great. The Lord of the Rings trilogy, despite Luke's naive assessment, was great. Why? Because they were planned out from the start. The authors had a plan for them. They weren't just a standalone success that had something additional tacked on to make more money. From the first movie to the last, there's a continuous plot line so that you look forward to the next. You hope to have questions answered and challenges overcome. The first part is always just that, part of a greater whole. There might be some little subplots that take place in every individual movie, but the big questions that are posed at the start of the series don't reach their climax until the very end. In the book of Matthew that we're opening today, Matthew's aim is to show us that God's plan is like one of those really good movie series. He's determined to show us that the Old Testament was the first part to a much bigger plot. He wants to show us that Jesus isn't just this new character that they've decided to introduce to the mix to make things more interesting, like Puss in Boots in Shrek 2, but rather Jesus was there from the very start. Not in human form, but his presence was always there. His coming was always expected, and his entrance was always required. Matthew wants to prove to his readers that Jesus is the Messiah, the one true king that they've been waiting for. And that's why I've entitled my sermon today, Jesus, the one true king. So, how does Matthew do this? Well, in chapter 1, which we didn't read today, he starts with a really long genealogy list. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. And Judah was the father of, and so on and so on, until we get to Jesus. He establishes Jesus' ancestry and shows that he's a legitimate descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David, who all had prophecies saying that the Messiah would be one of their descendants. Why does he do this? Well, he's showing that Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies, that there's, he's the rightful candidate to the role of Messiah, the one true king. Then Matthew goes on to say how the birth of Jesus came about. He explains that unlike you or I, Jesus wasn't conceived by conventional means. Mary was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And he explains that Joseph decided not to leave her as he was planning to because an angel appeared to him in a dream and told him that the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that they were to name him Jesus because he would save people from their sins. And then Matthew goes on to do something that he continues to do again and again in his gospel. He quotes the Old Testament and he asserts that this immaculate conception, as we often call it, was to fulfill a prophecy in Isaiah that refers to a virgin giving birth to a son and calling him Emmanuel. Now, you know sometimes when you watch a good movie and it has a lot of plot twists in it and immediately after you finish watching the movie, you want to go back and see it again to see if you can pick up all of the things that you missed. 
Well, Matthew's gospel is a little bit like that. He likes to flick back to the Old Testament again and again and say, you remember this part? You didn't notice it at the time, but now it has so much more meaning in the New Testament. He ties everything together in an intricate web that only God could orchestrate. And then we come to today's passage, chapter 2. Well, Matthew tells us that Jesus was born during the reign of Herod the Great, who, although he was under Roman overlords, was known as the king of Judea at the time. And it says that during this time, we suspect it was around one to two years after Jesus' birth, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know a whole lot about these Magi characters. They're only referenced in this one passage in the Bible. And when I was preparing for this talk, I thought I'd be able to do a heap of research and I'd be able to come along today and tell you all about them. But to be honest, it's hard to know for sure. There's been many historians and theologians and, to be honest, a bunch of weirdos who have written about who they think they are. We know that they came from the east and the most popular theory is that they probably came from the area of Babylon or Mesopotamia. That's a tricky one. And the popular image we get is three kings riding on camels. And we saw uh, three kings depicted in the video before. Uh, There is, however, no indication whatsoever that they were kings, uh, nor does Matthew tell us that there were three of them. Uh, That's something that we just assume based on the three gifts that are given later on in the chapter. Sometimes we refer to them as wise men, uh, which sounds pretty nice. If you referred to someone here as a wise man or a wise woman, you'd probably take it as a compliment. But I don't think the word magi that Matthew is using here is actually a compliment. The word magi is where we get the word magic from. And although they probably weren't sorcerers, it's highly likely from their behaviour and from the region they came from that they were astrologers, probably from the priestly caste of Zoroastrians. And to a Jewish audience... The term magi was far from a compliment. Astrology was not a respected profession in Judaism. Uh, Isaiah spends some time uh, in his book condemning astrology. In Isaiah chapter 47, verse 13, he says, All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month to month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the flame. Each of them goes on in his error. There is not one that can save you. So these foreign pagan astrologers, it says they've come to Jerusalem. Why? Because they've seen a star appear. And they believe it indicates that the one born king of the Jews has arrived. Now, how did they know this? Uh, There's some theory to suggest that perhaps they got their hands on a prophecy known as Balaam's prophecy from the book of Numbers, uh, which says, a star will come out of Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. And that's possible. Uh, The early scriptures may have made their way to Babylon uh, during the exile. Uh, Some suggest that despite God criticizing astrology as being useless and evil, uh, maybe he worked through it in this instance, to reveal himself to the Magi. Uh, The truth is we don't really know exactly how they figured it out, uh, but their prediction was correct. And they went off on this journey to find the promised king, a king that it says here in chapter 2 they deemed worthy of worship. 
An interesting detail we miss here sometimes is that the Magi didn't actually journey directly to Bethlehem. Uh, so I think uh, the point in this story is that the star was more of an indicator that a king had been born rather than a uh, supernatural satnav system. Uh, because they get to Jerusalem and they start asking around for where the king is. And that makes sense. Uh, Jerusalem was the capital. It was the centre of political and social and religious life in Judea. And if a new king of the Jews was born, it seemed like a logical place to look for him. And they come to Jerusalem with this question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, that's a pretty big question to ask. Herod has been reigning for about 30 years at this point. His father was put in charge by uh, by Julius Caesar, and Herod famously rebuilt the temple. He kept the region very peaceful, and he pleased the Roman overlords to a point where they declared him to be king of the region. He was a powerful ruler. Many would have referred to him as a tyrant. Uh, During his reign, he was known to use his secret police to search out members of the public who opposed him. He banned protests, and anyone who he believed didn't support him had their wealth and their property confiscated. His paranoia even led him to have three of his sons and his first wife executed because he believed they were plotting against him. He made his way from place to place with a personal bodyguard of no less than 2,000 soldiers. And these foreigners, these magi, come to Jerusalem asking, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Well, this stirs up word on the street. And Herod catches wind of it. And in verse 3, it says that this news disturbed him, which is probably an understatement. He knows that the magi aren't looking for him. He is Jewish, uh, but he wasn't born king of the Jews. He was appointed king by the Roman authorities. But like all good Jews at the time, he knows that a king has been promised. A king of kings, the Messiah, the one true king. So what does Herod decide to do with this disturbing news? Well, he goes to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he asks them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they know the answer to the question because it's been prophesied in the book of Micah. And it's quoted here in verse 6, but you Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And again, Matthew is highlighting to us that Jesus isn't some new idea. He's the one that was promised by the Old Testament prophets. He's the one they've been waiting for. And so now Herod knows where the Messiah is in, or at least what city the Messiah should be. And so he secretly calls the Magi who have been stirring up the people to come to his court for a visit. And what does he do? Does he execute them? Does he have them flogged? No. As far as we can tell, he's quite amicable with them. He pretends that he's on the same side as them. He says that he wants to go and worship the Messiah as well. And then he sends them on a mission. He says, look, I've got a bit of extra knowledge for you. That Messiah that you've been looking for, something you probably don't know, being pagan astrologers, is that it's actually prophesied in the book of Micah that the Messiah should be born in Bethlehem. Now, I don't know exactly where, 
but I want you to go and have a look for him. And when you find him, I want you to let me know so that I can come and worship him too. Now, do the Magi think something's up? Are they suspicious? Well, they probably should be. If it was a movie, there'd be foreboding music in the background right now. But we're actually given no indication at this point that the Magi doubted Herod. Um, why would they be? He's Jewish. This is the Jewish Messiah that they've been waiting for. So doesn't it make sense that he would want to go and worship uh, the Messiah? Uh, regardless, they, they go on this mission and it says that the star that they had seen that had initially indicated the birth of the king uh, now went before them. Uh, so probably it was supernaturally guiding them all the way to Bethlehem uh, because it says that it stopped over the place Jesus was, which is very unusual behaviour for a star. And it says here in verse 10 and 11 that when they arrived, they were overjoyed. And they came inside and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, this is quite profound. Why? Because they were foreigners. They were pagan astrologers and they're among the least likely people to come before Jesus and worship him. And yet they do. Why would Matthew point this out? Well, I think it comes back to the Great Commission, which is also in the book of Matthew, by the way. Jesus wasn't really just the king of the Jews. Jesus wasn't just some new member of the royal family who would sit on a throne and govern a small area under Roman control. Jesus is the saviour of the whole world. And you don't need a qualification to worship him. Some of you might be here today thinking, I don't really belong here. I'm not worthy to be a Christian. Maybe you've been involved in astrology or sorcery or pagan worship like the Magi. Maybe your life has just been so caught up and controlled by sin that you think you're trapped. Maybe you think that if you came before the throne of God to worship him, that he would just turn his back on you. Well, right here in this gospel, Matthew is saying no. That's not the case at all. Here we have some complete outsiders, people who had no connection to God, and yet they are seeking out and being led to the one true king. They aren't qualified to be there, and yet they're among the first people to come and worship Jesus. Matthew's saying it doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from, you are called to come and worship the true king. Now, it's interesting here who didn't come to worship Jesus. The scribes and the teachers of the law all knew that the Messiah was meant to be in Bethlehem. They were the ones who recited the Old Testament prophecy to King Herod. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, throughout, oh, sorry, through you are small among the... Sorry, though you... There's a, no R in there. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. And for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. They know exactly who the Messiah is, the Son of God, whose origins are from old, and yet, did they seek him out? Did they bow down? No. As far as we know, the teachers and priests just went on teaching and priesting. 
And they didn't look, and they didn't check, and they didn't care. I think sometimes we can be a little bit like those guys. Sometimes I look at new Christians, and I think, wow, they're so passionate. They're so excited. They're so full of energy for God. They're just blown away by what God has done for them, and they just want to share it with others. And then I look at many more knowledgeable, more seasoned churchgoers, and sometimes they're a bit like, meh, I've heard this before. I know it, but I do nothing about it. And it's really sad. But it's really easy to slip into that way of thinking, and it's a real trap for people who have been Christians their whole lives. The priests and teachers were probably thinking, we don't want to go to Bethlehem and worship the Messiah. It's too far. It's too inconvenient. Maybe it's not even real. We might have to hang out with those weird magi dudes on the way. I'd rather stay in my cushy priest job, and when the Messiah wants to come and see me, he's welcome to pay a visit. They knew about the Messiah, but they didn't want to get to know the Messiah. And so the chief priests and the teachers just seem to fade off, and we don't hear from them again in this story. Then we have Herod's response, which is different again. Earlier in the chapter, he's already tricked the Magis into giving him information. He pretended to be interested in worshipping Christ. And he's determined, based on the time the Magi saw the star rise initially, that the promised king was most likely under two years old. And he's asked them to seek out where he is. But Herod has no intention of worshipping Jesus. He intends to have him killed. And so it says, when the Magi didn't return after being warned in a dream, he instead decides to massacre every male child in the area who would be about the right age. Because Herod likes being king. And Herod does not want to submit to and worship the king of kings. He knows about the Messiah through the Jewish scriptures. He knows that the Messiah is the promised saviour of the world. But Herod is more interested in saving his throne than saving his soul. He's so concerned about keeping his position of power and privilege that he's forgotten about the God he claims to worship. He's a false worshipper. He's happy to say he's Jewish and say he's worshipping God and take up a position to lead the Jewish people, but when it really comes down to it, it's really all about himself. He was the king of his own life and there was no room for God the God that he claimed to worship. Perhaps we're like that sometimes too. How far do we need to be pushed before we say, you know what, I value my life and my comforts and my security over serving God. God, you can be king of this part of my life, but I'll handle this part over here. What parts of your life are so precious to you that they get in the way. Perhaps it's your time. I don't mind worshipping God as long as it doesn't take up more than 90 minutes on a Sunday. Or I'd join an MCG group and read the Bible with other Christians, but you know what? That's on a weeknight, and I prefer to spend my weeknights with my dog and my hot chocolate watching my favourite TV show. Maybe it's your money. I'm happy to give a little bit each week to build the kingdom of God, but... I need to make sure it doesn't have a negative impact on my holiday budget. Maybe it's your social comfort. I'm happy to talk with Jesus, uh, about Jesus with my Christian friends, 
but don't make me talk to anyone I don't know, and definitely don't suggest that I evangelise to someone who's not a Christian, because that makes me uncomfortable. You see, I'm not sure that we're really all that different to Herod in some ways. Sure, we're not about to go out and massacre a bunch of babies, but we have areas of our lives where we don't want Jesus to rule. We all have areas of our lives where we feel threatened by Christ. And while we might claim to worship the one true king, that sinful part of us is always there wanting to claw back control of our lives. So, what should we do? How can we respond to this strange tale of visitation and worship? Well, I think the Magi have actually set an example for us in the way that they responded to Jesus in verse 11. It says that they presented him with three unusual gifts, gifts that you wouldn't normally present to a baby, but gifts filled with significance. Gold, a gift symbolising royalty. Come before Jesus and recognise him as your king. Surrender it all to him. Don't just say, Jesus, you're the king of my Sunday morning, but say, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. I want you to be king of my relationships. I want you to be king of my time. I want you as king of my finances. I want you as king of my job. I want you as king of my priorities. And I need you as king of my heart. Frankincense, a gift symbolizing priesthood. In Old Testament times, the role of the priest was to mediate between God and the people. The priest would have to engage in certain rituals to ensure that they were uh, pure enough to enter God's presence in the temple. But Jesus is the great high priest. His perfect life and his sacrifice for us are the only reason we are able to come before God. We need to acknowledge that we're not good enough and we'll never be good enough on our own. Only through Jesus, our saviour, the great high priest, can we approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that he is good enough. Myrrh, an embalming ointment, a gift symbolising death. When we, think of de- uh, sorry, when we think of myrrh, we reflect not only of the death of Christ on the cross, but also the death of our sin with him. When Jesus died for us, he took upon all our sin, past, present and future. If he hadn't done so, we, wouldn't re- we would receive what we deserve. Eternity away from God's presence. Hell. Instead, we are made alive in Christ. We're adopted into his family. We're no longer slaves to sin. No longer living in guilt, but living as children of the living God. The Magi, they weren't wise men because they could recognise stars. They were wise men because they recognised the one true king for who he was. Let's do the same. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at follow.baptistchurch.